Family, Pastor Kurt here. So good to be with you guys again. Thank you for joining us and thank you for letting us come into your homes and just be a part of family life and family growth. A special welcome to you kids. I hope that you're gathered around with your folks as well because I think that we keep things simple enough for you to understand. But also there's some great kids play stuff going on, some great edge stuff, some great uh, anchor stuff going on. So avail yourself of those things as well if they're available to you this morning. You know, I was working in the dirt yesterday, and I hope you can't see my dirty fingernails. I tried hard. I did the COVID-19 scrub, and yet I have some stains. But it was so much fun. Here's a picture of my hosta plant, and I'm reminded as I dig in the dirt um, how every year we have hope built into our yearly cycle. Every year we watch our plants die. Every year through the winter, they're brown and they're dead. And then in the springtime, like now, we watch with excitement as they start to come back. And we hope that every year this will happen, and every year it does. And I want to talk a little bit with you about hope this morning. I want to talk about first just hope, but then also the community of hope, hopeful communities that we find ourselves in that Pastor Steve was talking about. You know, hope is such a big thing these days, isn't it? We all need hope. Uh, you have hopes. I have hopes. One of my hopes is that we're going to be able to meet together soon as a church because I'm tired of standing alone and worshiping, facing the back of the worship center. I sent out an Instagram this morning to show you what it looks like for me. And I want you back, man. I miss your voices. I miss the hugs. I miss the love. Uh, so that's one of my big hopes. But this morning, I want to ask you the question, what are you hoping for? In the middle of this crisis, as we start to think about coming back uh, and maybe leaving our homes a little bit more, what are you hoping for? How would you finish the sentence this morning, I hope? Well, how would you finish that? Maybe it would be, uh, I hope to open my business again soon. And we hope Dutch Bakery opens again soon as well. Uh, maybe you hope to go back to work, or maybe you hope for a new job because maybe you lost your job. Uh, you probably hope that your kids get to go back to school in the fall, right? And some of you kids... You're hoping that you get to play football or you get to play volleyball or you get to run cross country this fall. And I have to be honest, it's one of my hopes. I hope I can stand on the track and watch kids play football again because I love that. You know, graduating seniors, you're probably hoping that you get to go to college in the fall if that's your plan. I mean, I could go on and on and on for a long time about literally the thousands of different things that we are hoping to see restored in our lives. And hope is what keeps us alive. Hope is what keeps us from despairing. Hope is what says, we're going to get through this. We're going to get through this together and life will get better again. That's what hope is for. So this morning, I know that we're all hoping for a little bit different things, but there is one hope that we all share that is bigger than all the other hopes, all of these lesser hopes in comparison to this one hope, and that is the hope of heaven and the hope of Jesus. Hope that when this life is over, not just the stay-at-home order, but when this life is over, there's magnificent life waiting for us. 
And do you know that God sees your hope? Do you know that God recognizes your hope in him? In fact, that's what sets you apart from the rest of the world. In Psalm 33:18 it says, "Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope." Can you say hope this morning? Come on, say it in your homes. Those who hope in his steadfast love. Uh, we love watching our kids, don't we? I mean, I love watching my grandchild, Trilby. And oftentimes, they're not even aware that we're watching them, but we watch them. Why do we watch them? Because we love them. We videotape them doing the craziest things, even eating Cheerios in a box of bird seed. That's how <laughs> steadfast and loyal our love is. Our eye is on our children and our grandchildren simply because we love them. And I want you to know this morning that God sees you that way as well. If you're sitting in a box of bird seed this morning or you're eating Cheerios this morning from a tippy cup, God sees you. Why? Because you hope in him. His eye is on you because you've placed, his, placed your hope in his steadfast love. You know, last week I sat with a young man and listened as he shared about losing his younger brother to a motorcycle accident. And it it was hard. It was sad. It was tragic. There were tears. And as we prayed together at the end of our time, I can tell you the only hope we had, there was only one hope that mattered in that moment, and that was the hope that we clung to. And that was the hope of the love of God who alone has the power to save. I can tell you that was the only hope that mattered in that moment. And as we place our hope in Jesus every day, his love, his steadfast love grows even greater in our lives. Psalm 33:22 says, let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Let your steadfast love, Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. God responds with steadfast love as we hope in him it's his exchange with us and it's this hope that gathers us even this morning for online church as the hopeful community and we bring this hope to everybody who's around us we are the hope bringers and that's number one in your notes today number one we bring hope to everyone through our hopeful community Let me tell you what I know about people. This is true, that everyone is longing for hope. Everyone is. They want something to hope in. Everyone wants something bigger than COVID-19. I can tell you that right now. Everyone really, at the depths of their being, wants Christ over crisis. They really do want faith over fear. And we know, I know, that what they're really longing for is hope in Christ. That's what's at the bottom of all these hopes that we have. They may just not know it yet. And so what do we do as a hopeful community? It's our job to bring them hope through the way that we relate together, through the way that we gather together. We have what they want, and we have what they need. And our success in life, you want to measure your success in life, our success is to bring hope to hopeless people. There's nothing more important or nothing that can bring you greater success than bringing hope to hopeless people, to your friends, to your neighbors, to your family, to the people that you work with. It doesn't matter. That's your job, 
to bring hope to hopeless people. So the first thing to understand about our neighbors is that they are wondering about you. They are wondering, is it really true? Does this hope really hold fast? And the best answer to that question is not some intellectual or some apologetic that you can tell them out of the Bible, but the best answer for that question, is your hope really true, is a changed life. That is really the only thing that holds water. It doesn't matter what you know. It matters who you know. And so it's a changed life in Christ. And I tell you today, people are watching us. People are watching the church. People are watching you because they know you're the church. And they want to know in this crisis if we really are different. Do we respond differently to this fear and this fear-mongering than the rest of the world does? Do we really have hope so we need to live like we do because we do in colossians 1 3 through 5 this has been our online bible study for the last few weeks paul says we always thank god the father of our lord jesus christ when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in christ jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints or for one another because now get this your faith and your love are because of the hope laid up for you in heaven Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. I want you to notice something very important this morning. That faith and love spring from where? They spring from hope. Faith and love spring from hope. Often we think that our relationship with Christ begins with faith. And it does in the sense that that's how we believe, right? We place our faith in his grace. But truly that springs from hope. It springs from hope that it really is true, hope that heaven is real, hope that Jesus really can save. And so as we hope in heaven, our faith in Christ grows stronger and our love for one another and our community grows stronger as well. And this is what people are looking for. People are looking for love and faith in your hopeful community. That's why we're all excited about relaunching and and reinvigorating small groups because people are looking for it and that's where they find it hebrews 11 says that our faith is the substance it's like the mass or the matter of things that we hope for faith gives substance to hope so so god wants us to be a community of faith that rises above the fear of crisis that we're in today to be different than the rest of the world to trust in christ to trust in his plan for us And people are not just looking for faith, they're looking for love. In fact, John said that the world will know we are Christians. Why? Because of our love for one another. So faith is the substance of hope, and love is really the proof that our hope is authentic. Where do you find faith and love? You find faith and love in hopeful community, or small groups, as we call them today, where we help each other, where we support each other, and where we pray for each other. Now, just over a month ago, Mark Warren, who many of you know, he's a friend of mine, um, came down with an obstructive uh, bowel problem. And so he was in tremendous pain, had to go to the ER, and things were messed up in there, and he was on double morphine, and they were scheduling him for surgery. They were going to get ready to do surgery the next morning. And so he's on this double morphine, and he texts his small group. And he says, you need to pray for me because I'm in tremendous pain. Pray for God to heal me. And so then he gets knocked out by the morphine, wakes up a couple of hours later, and he is entirely healed. I mean, the pain is gone. 
And so then he has to talk his way out of surgery, and he has to talk his way out of the hospital. They actually tell him he can't go, but then they sign him out and let him go home, and he is well today. And, you know, we were sending up all kinds of funny, because Mark's a funny guy, funny prayers like the prayer of binding and loosing, right? We were sending up these prayers that, that God would loose things and heal him, and God did. And so the point of the matter is Mark was a part of a hopeful community. Mark was a part of a small group that in his time of need, that he has not needed them before this way, but in his time of need, he knew where to turn. And that is one of the beautiful things about small group, about hopeful community, is that we know where to turn when we're in need. So that brings me to number two today, that we need to build up our hopeful communities. And our hopeful communities are built by believing and by communing. By believing and by communing around Christ. That's how our hopeful uh, communities are built. Let's talk about that word commune because that's a funny word. It's kind of a Bible word or it's a word of the 60s, a word of the 70s. Communing simply means that we share what we believe with one another. That we share what we have in common. You know, it's, it's like when we take communion. And by the way, we're going to do communion next week, so make sure you have your communion elements at home. We're going to lead you through communion next weekend. But it's like when we take communion together, what are we doing? We're sharing the body and the blood of Christ. And not only are we sharing the bread and the wine, but we're also sharing what we believe. We're, we're in unity. We're unifying over what we believe. We have Jesus in common, right? So... People commune all the time around millions of different things. Think about what you commune around. They commune around causes. I mean, people are even communing around perspectives of this whole crisis that we're in. Everybody has a different perspective. And you'll find camps being built around those different perspectives. They're, they're commuting. That's what they're doing. Uh, they'll commune around hobbies. Sometimes people even commune so much that they live together. And that's where we got the word commune from the 60s. I've actually been to a commune. Gwen and I were traveling last November, and we uh, came across this place called East Jesus, if you can believe that. And what it means is that if you make it to Jesus and you go beyond him, that's East Jesus, okay? So that's East Jesus. It's a real place in the middle of the California desert over by Salton Sea. And if you've heard of Salvation Mountain. And this place, East Jesus, was started by a guy named Charles Russell in 2006. And it started because Russell noticed that Californians were driving their junk out into the middle of the desert and dumping it out there and leaving it. And it was an old army base, and so, uh, you know, nobody knew. So he discovered this junk, and he moved in and started making art out of junk. And as he did this, as the months and years went by, people began joining him. And actually, you go there now, there's a commune. Charles has died since then, but there's a commune that's built around this junkyard where hippie artists come and they live together and they build this art. And this museum is actually on California's register of art museums now, and you can go and see it. It's pretty cool. But it's neat to me, and I thought about this, that you know God does the same thing with our lives, doesn't he? When we commune around Christ, God takes the brokenness of our lives. God takes the faults and failures of our life. God takes the places where we've rusted out in our lives. And God puts those things together with the help of believers. See, we help each other uh, restore ourselves into these art forms that Jesus makes us into. And so you see, uh, you know, communing together as followers of Christ around Jesus is God's way of putting us back together and making something beautiful
out of the broken parts of our life. It's a wonderful thing. So this is where we get our word community. It's from this word commune to share what is in common or to share what we believe. So a hopeful community or small groups, we commune around the same hope, hope in Christ. That's what brings us together. It's as simple as that. We may have a lot of other things that we differ in. We may even differ in doctrine. Uh, We may have different ways of looking at certain parts of Scripture, but we have unity in this one thing, and this is the essential thing. If anybody's essential in this crisis, it's Jesus. And this is the essential person of our community or our communion. It's Jesus Christ. So communion plus unity equals community yes and that's what we have in small groups so this morning just for a couple of minutes because i think it's important that we do agree on what the essentials of christ are and there are more than these but i want to lead you through seven things that paul gives us in this passage of colossians that we've been studying online paul gives us seven things that are important that are essentials to believe about christ and seven things really that we must have unity about and here's number one open your bibles this morning to colossians 1 Starting in verse 15, number one, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. This is essential number one. We believe this about Jesus, that he is God. Like he wasn't born and became a God. He is God, and he took on human flesh. And so he is God in the flesh. I like to call him God in a bod. That's kind of my term uh, for Jesus. I hope that's not disrespectful or sputton like my mom used to say. So that's number one. Number two essential, he existed before anything was created. And he is supreme over all creation. What does this mean? Christ is eternal. He has always been. He always will be. He's always been a part of the Trinity, always will be a part of the Trinity. But he entered our timeline as a human being when he was born to Mary and Joseph. So that's number two. And that Jesus is supreme over all creation. Because he created it, right? Uh, That takes us to verse 16, third essential. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him, through Jesus. And for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Essential number three is this, that everything was created through Christ. Go to John chapter 1, you'll find the same thing. And that Jesus holds our world together, I think, through the natural laws that he put in place. Everything's held together. But he also holds you together. And I want you to know this morning that as life sometimes feels like it's flying apart, And as your life may feel sometimes like it's falling apart, Jesus will hold you together. He holds the universe together. There's no reason to believe that he can't hold your life together as well. It's one of the things that we hope in, right? And then essential number four, verse 18, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. We submit to Christ as the head of the church. And we, the believers, are his body. Part of this submission is, is to be a part of the hopeful community because that is what Jesus has asked us to do. We represent him as his body. And we don't want to be a body that's loosely connected, but we want to be a body that is tightly connected, that is strong, that has been working out spiritually together. And so that we're strong, we're muscular. uh, We have all the ligaments that are strengthened and there's nothing that is loose about our body. 
How many of you hate a loose body, right? And so we go to the gym to work out. The same is true. We gather in small groups to work out spiritually together so that we can become as tight and strong of a body as we possibly can. And then we have the fifth essential. He is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead. Jesus is first in everything. So what does that mean? It means that Jesus was the first to rise from the dead and receive an eternal body. Other people have risen from the dead, like Lazarus and others before Jesus, but he's the first one that received an eternal body. And in fact, it's the same body, the glorified body, that he is in right now. It's the same body that he's going to spend eternity in with us, and we're going to get a body just like his. So Jesus is the first. He's the prototype of the kind of body we're going to have, one that will live up to the glory of God as we spend eternity in his presence. You know, the body you're in would not withstand the glory of God for a millisecond. You'd be blown apart, right? Uh, But the body you're going to receive is going to be able to live in the presence of God for eternity. Pretty powerful, pretty cool. Here's essential number six. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. This is where we get the term that Christ was fully man, and yet fully God, both at the same time. Again, a mystery that is hard to understand, but Christ in his humanness held the fullness of God, which we think about as God's nature, and we think about as God's character. Christ held those in his earthly body. And then finally, number seven, the seventh essential about Jesus that we must agree on is that through him, God has reconciled everything to himself it says he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of christ's blood on the cross so god has offered peace to us through christ and an eternal relationship with him to anyone who believes in jesus jesus is the bridge of peace to god so we're going to throw these seven essentials up on the screen you can do a screenshot if you want so you can be ready for your small group Um, So we believe that Christ is God's reconciler. And here's what I want to ask you today. As we think about hopeful community and we think about being in a small group, here's what I want to ask you. Is there anything more important in the whole world or in your life more important than having been reconciled to God through Christ? Anything. Can you think of something? I dare you. I dare you to think of anything that's more important than eternity with God through Jesus Christ. If that's true, then we need to to respond to what God has asked us to do and to find ourselves in hopeful communities. Maybe you're the one that's going to get the thing set up and be online and you're going to be the host. Maybe you're just going to be somebody who joins the group and, and just sees what it's all about for the first time. I don't know what it is, but this I know. If our salvation is important as we say it is and believe it is, then I think it's something to commune around, probably more important than a lot of the things we're communing around today. And here's the good news. You don't have to give up your other communing. You don't have to give that up. Just commune around what's important. And there's nothing more important than Jesus Christ. And here it is. This is what we commune around when we think about hopeful communities or small groups. Verse 21, you were once far away from God. You were his enemy separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, 
he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Listen, friends, you can't buy that. You can't add to that. You can't make it any better than what it is. You can only gather together and grow in the understanding and the strengthening of what Jesus Christ has done to grow in hope through being in a hopeful community. This is what draws us back together week after week. Hey, hey, listen, I know you struggle with life. I struggle with life. And so what draws us back together is the fact that we are used to be sinners, been saved by grace, now we're saints, and we gather together to build that hope one hour a week, focusing on who Jesus is and what we have in him, growing in the substance of faith and proving our hope is authentic by loving one another. And I tell you, that is what the world wants to see. We check in with one another. We keep each other accountable. We lift up the hope in one another's lives just by sharing, communing around Christ. And so two great reasons to have small group are, number one, they help keep you hopeful. And number two, they invite others into your hopeful community. And I want to tell you today, this is a planned outcome by God. It's called evangelism. And God meant for us to confess our faith, to share our hope with others so that others could join, others could enter in. If we don't do this, we've got selfish salvation. We do. If we don't do this, we've got selfish salvation. We're just making it about us. So we need to come to the place where where we can share our hope with others in a very simple and understandable way. They are desperate for hope. And that brings me to number three today. Number three, we offer the hope people need by inviting them into hopeful community with us. Let me say this again. It is not enough that we discover hope for ourselves. It is not enough that we grow in that hope just for ourselves. It's not enough that we even grow in that hope for one another. We need to invite people into this hopeful community. And let me talk about a false narrative. Pastor Steve brought up a false narrative last week. I think we're going to have a false narrative every week. Here's the false narrative. Here's what happens in our heads when we think about small group. Unless you're someone like Mark Warren, who understands the value of small groups. And here's the false narrative, that only certain people can talk about their hope. You know, we leave that for the extroverts. Or we leave that for just the people that really know the Bible. Only certain people can invite others into hopeful community. That is a false narrative, a lie that Satan has allowed to develop in our heads. And here's the false narrative excuses that come with this narrative. Here they are, just a few of them. I'm a private person. I don't invite people into my spirituality. I'm an introvert. You know, like 60, 70% of you can use that one. I feel awkward. That's me. I feel awkward. I'm an awkward person. I don't know what to say. I don't want to offend somebody. I might offend them. What if they have a different religion? I don't want to be a hypocrite because I know how much I sin. I don't want to be rejected. I don't want to be that guy, that girl. I don't want people to think I'm religious. Why? Why? Why don't you want that? You know, being religious is just simply living out our faith, right? Uh, here's one. They're going to think I'm nuts. There's a lie, right? False narrative. 
Or here's, here's the biggest one, I think. They would not want to come. Even if I invited them, they wouldn't want to come to a hopeful community. They wouldn't want to come to a small group. So why would I risk all this and invite them? You know, here's, here's the real tragedy of this. Many of us decide in our false narrative that people would not want to discover hope in Christ. And I said, why do we believe this? People want to discover hope in Christ. They just don't know it yet. And so we can be a part of inviting people to discover hope in Christ by, very, by, by just simply inviting them into community. Listen, if you hear me say one thing this morning, hear me say this. We should not disqualify people from coming into hopeful community because of our false narrative. That should not be the disqualifier. Let them disqualify themselves, but let us invite them to come. So that's the false narrative. Here's the true narrative. The true narrative is this. All of us can and should share the hope that we have in Christ with those around us. In fact, I believe that you're the only one who can share with someone. You're the one that God has placed in their life to share the hope in Christ. And here's the thing about being in a crisis together. Right now in crisis is such a great time to invite somebody to a virtual group, to a Zoom group. You know, because people are used to being online. That's like a low threshold invitation. They don't have to come into a home. They don't have to dress up. I mean, they, they don't have to do anything. They just show up online. This is one of the best times in the history of the world to invite people into a group. They don't have to do anything. Just press a button. Accept the invitation. And they're there right now. People are more comfortable online than in person. So invite them to your group. Send them a Zoom invitation. You don't even have to talk to them. Send them a Zoom invitation and say, hey, why don't you check out my group? You don't have to, you don't have to, uh, you know, join forever. Just come and see what it's like. And I would bet that like is not, they're going to appreciate it and they're going to love it. Peter said this in 1 Peter 3.15. He said, worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Let me talk to you as I close today just for a minute about how to share your hope in Christ. This is just one way. There's many ways. This is the way I have found to be most useful for me. And that is simply to share my story. To share my story. You know, if God pairs you up with a person in this life, somebody that that you can share your hope with, my guess is he knew what they needed to hear. And so oftentimes what I have found is I'll run into people that share elements of my story. Like, Like they've went through the same things in life. And it's a place to connect. So I simply begin to share my story. I don't start with, you've got to accept Christ. I start with, let me tell you what's happened in my life. And we begin to share our story. And this story is this. It's simply how you came to be a part of a hopeful community. How you came into communion around Christ. How did this happen for you? Were you always a Christian? Like, were you born with a Christ stamp on your head? No, you weren't. So you came into relationship with him somehow, and many of you came into relationship with Christ later in life, teenage years or even adult years. And you have quite a story that has racked up until the time that you gave your heart to Christ. So you have a story of hope, and here's what it is. It's simply, what was my life like before Christ? What was I doing with my life? What did I do with my life? What kind of sin was I engaging with? I mean, don't glorify your sin, but... 
but that's a place to engage somebody else, right? So what was my life like before Christ? And then how did I come to Christ? What's the story? Where was I? It's like people ask all the time, where were you? What were you doing when 9-11 happened, right? Well, what about where were you and what were you doing when Jesus happened? You know, what a great story to remember and to share how it is that you came to place your hope in him. And some, some of us were raised in a Christian home, but we had a time where we walked away. I shared about that last time I preached. It was in my late high school years, my early college years. I walked away. I became about me. Life was all about me. And drank a lot, you know, and did a lot of things I shouldn't do. And Jesus brought me back. So that's a part of my story that a lot of people can connect with, right? And, and then share about why is it that hopeful community is so important to me? What is it about small group that does something for me? What, what's the benefit? What's the value of small group? It's not like, like, you know, it's the most horrible thing in the world to do. There's some amazing benefits and value to being involved with other brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, I'm, I'm a part of three or four different small groups, different people that I'm in the same circle with and we stay in touch with. And, and, then, and then a great part of your story is this. How do you view this crisis differently than perhaps the rest of the world? What is it about having hope in Christ that makes this crisis different? What, what's your approach to fear that's different than maybe the rest of the world? Why is it that you're not as worried and anxious about the rest of the world? So what is hope? What is hope? Hope is this. Hope is confidence in a good future. That's what hope is. That's why ultimately our confidence is in Jesus in heaven. It's hope is confidence in a good future. But it's true on this planet as well. Hope is confidence. We're confident things are going to get better. Why? Because we have hope. And so as followers of Christ, as hopers in Christ, we are the ones who in the middle of of this seemingly hopeless time, we have hope. We have what the world needs. We have confidence that there is a good future. Why is that? Why can we have confidence that there is a good future? Let me tell you why it is. It's because we're not rooted in the present. We are rooted in the future. You know, most people, people outside of Christ, their roots are in the present. It's all about what's happening today. It is. It's all about what I can do today. It's all about what I can't do today. Their roots are rooted in the present. But when you place your hope in Christ, your roots, your root system gets transferred to him and to heaven. And you're now rooted in him. And your hope in him brings things like faith and love to the earth, to the planet, through you. That's what happens. So you're rooted in eternity in him. And your blossoms, your blooms, your fruit... Are the, are the faith and the love that God lives through your life. John Ziziolas says this. This is a great quote. Hope is the bridge from the future into the present. And the branches of that hope are faith and love. And think about, think about it like this. Our roots in Christ mean that we are truly rooted and seated with the Father where Jesus is. Our roots are in the resurrection. Our roots are in the eternal victory. Our roots are in eternal life. And then from that rootedness in the hope of Christ, God gives us the gifts, the fruit of the spirit, the faith, the joy, the love, all those things that we get to live out in the present so that people can enter the same hope 
that we have. That's the way it works. So you have faith and love because you have hope. And your hope is firmly rooted in Christ. Christ is already where we will be. So we already are firmly rooted in our destiny. And that is the way that we become people of faith and people of love. And when we invite people into a hopeful community, that is what we are inviting them into. Would you pray with me this morning? Let's bow our heads together wherever you're at, in your home. Maybe you're out on the road. We've got people all over the world that are with us this morning. And so, Lord, as we bow our heads this morning, first of all, we thank you for the hope that we have in you, Jesus. Thank you that we are rooted in you. Thank you that we don't see crisis and we don't see fear the same way the rest of the world does. Why? Because we have faith and we're focused on love. How do we love our neighbor in the midst of these times? How do we love one another in the midst of these times? And Lord, we're reminded today that in the first church, in Acts chapter 2, you called us in to hopeful community. And that is where we live out our hope and our faith and our love. And so, Lord, as, as we as a church work to reinvigorate small groups, God, I pray that all of us would realize that we need a hopeful community in our life. We need a place to turn when life gets rough. We need a place for prayer when we need prayer. We need a place for help when we're short on the rent. Uh, we need a place to serve and, and to be served. We need a place to love. And God, we know this morning it begins with hope. And so for anybody that's watching today that has never placed their hope in Jesus Christ, you can do that right now. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ those things that I shared with you this morning about who he is and you will be saved and your roots will be transferred to your relationship with him. So if you would like to receive him today, place your faith in his grace today, just pray with me now. Lord Jesus, I receive what you've done for me. I receive forgiveness of my sin. Lord, I receive your grace in my life. I receive the cleansing of my life that you only you have the ability to wash me clean. So I receive that from you today. I place my life, I place my eternity in your hands. And Jesus, I receive the relationship that you died for when you died to reconcile me to God, to my creator. And Lord Jesus, I, I say simply today, I receive that friendship with God today. I don't want to walk the rest of my life in friendship with God. So, Jesus, I receive you today. In your precious name, I pray. And all God's people said, Amen.